Welcome to Intersect Where Church Meets Culture. My name is Josh Desch, and I am the lead pastor at Northeast Presbyterian Church in Columbia, South Carolina, and I am joined as always by my inquisitive wife, Betsy. Oh, hey, everybody. Bets, great to be back with you as always. As always. And Bets, aren't you excited about this guest that we have today? Very much so. We have the Reverend Derek Radney with us here, and I'm going to say a few things about uh, Derek to introduce him. But first of all, Derek, thank you for being with us. Well, thanks for having me. Yeah. And uh, actually, how about before I introduce Derek, let me go ahead and give the episode title. This is going to be a great discussion, everyone. Cultivating intellectual humility over intellectual suspicion. We'll, we'll talk about what we mean by those words. How do we define those words? But first, a couple things about Derek. He is the pastor at Trinity Church in Winston-Salem, North Carolina, which is a PCA church, just like Northeast Presbyterian is a PCA church. He is a gifted writer. He writes at dradney.wordpress.com. And he tweets at Derek Radney, at Derek Radney, and he also occasionally writes at simperref.org. Um, so I would highly recommend uh, the things he writes. His tweets are thought-provoking and interesting, and I'm finding myself amening quite a bit. So Derek, thank you for your ministry. Oh, well, thank you. That's very kind of you. All right. Well, let's jump right into our topic today. Um, we find ourselves very much so living in a culture of intellectual suspicion. Again, to remind everybody the title, Cultivating Intellectual Humility Over Intellectual Suspicion. Uh, that's, I think a lot of people would agree that in many respects, our country has become more polarized in mm -hmm. the last, let's say, 10 to 20 years. Absolutely. That's something we've... Uh, explored in other episodes that that yeah. is so um, prevalent. Mm -hmm. David French episode mm -hmm. uh, was a good look, look into that. Mm -hmm. uh, a couple of quick examples that I thought about as I was preparing for the episode. Uh, remember the presidential transfer that happened from the first President Bush to Bill Clinton? Mm. And also I thought about the transfer that happened from George W. Bush to Barack Obama and how, of course, the two sides were strongly opposed to one another, but overall, those were great examples of uh, the peaceful transfer of power. Mm -hmm. Something that's interesting is that Bush one actually became something of a father figure to Bill Clinton, mm. uh, which is just kind of an interesting historical note, because obviously they had very different views on a lot of things. Uh, so we are living in this polarized culture, social media, and we'd like to hear Derek's perspective on that, uh, especially with Twitter has uh, contributed toward probably in some ways to this polarization. And a lot of times, bets we see sh warning shots across the bow right uh, mm -hmm. uh, instead of carefully worded arguments. And uh, we're going to get into this in a bit, but we're also seeing this posture of suspicion of bad faith readings in the church. Mm -hmm. I feel like we're seeing that more and more. So why don't you go ahead, Bets, and lead off for Derek. What's our first question as we get into this concept of intellectual um, suspicion? Yeah, Derek, we were, um, you know, Josh and I have talked about this topic a lot ourselves, and um, I'm curious how you would define an idea such as intellectual suspicion. Maybe you would use a different word, but how do you see that? What do you see it as, and how do you see it playing out in our culture? 
Mm, that's a great question. Um, I, I think I'd probably distinguish intellectual suspicion uh, with like intellectual curiosity. Mm-hmm. Um, and so in the face of um, maybe ideas that are foreign to us or ideas that challenge us, you know, I think humility drives us to be curious about that before we respond. Um, and so I think suspicion um, automatically rejects things that don't fit into the current framework that that we have intellectually. Um, it and, and I think part of that's rooted in fear um, or part of that might be rooted in pride. Just, um, you know, something is other than us and um, we are maybe finding a sense of our identity in holding what we consider to be the right beliefs. And so we have to quickly, strongly condemn anything that's that's different or, or varies from us. Um, so I think suspicion and curiosity, maybe that's a good way to contrast that to get an understanding of what intellectual suspicion looks like. Mm. Mm. And so in some ways is that uh, a lot of it, our, our first initial response to something that's different, uh, is it more of a defensive response or more of a an open response? Would that be one way to see it? Yeah, yeah, I think that's that's right. That's that's what I'm trying to get at. Um, I've I've often used the term reactive, mm-hmm. um, and I think you know I'm I'm borrowing that from stuff I've learned and read from like systems theory, um, where you know maybe inner anxiety uh, or stress that we're experiencing leads us to um, to react to things without without being able to sort of calmly assess them, you know. And I think that that comes that plays out a lot in. Uh, intellectual wrestling with different ideas, and yep. especially like you guys are saying on Twitter and on, on the internet. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So uh, you uh, recently tweeted a couple of interesting tweets that I uh, copied and I want to share. And, um, you know, when you use the word fundamentalist, Derek, I think you're using it more broadly than the church, although you may have specifically a Christian lens in mind. But I wanted to bring up a couple of tweets that you shared. And that I think maybe could help us as we think about intellectual fundamentalism and how this thinking works. Uh, You tweeted, uh, one problem with fundamentalists is that they have no imagination for engaging those with whom they disagree in any way other than direct confrontation. Any other approach can only be interpreted as compromise or cowardice. So talk to us about what it means uh, to have an imagination that engages, and why do we see this drive toward uh, confrontation, and why why is it so often seen as compromise or cowardice? Oh, man, that, you're really going in there with that one. Um, <laughs> so, uh, you know, let me just say first that fundamentalism is a, is an okay word. Like, I would, I would say in one sense— you know, I'm a fundamentalist, the PCA, we're fundamentalists, mm-hmm. and that we believe the fundamental doctrines of the Christian faith. And so from a, hysteric, a historical standpoint, you know, I think we're all fundamentalists in the PCA. That's that's fine. But I think culturally, um, the fundamentalist movement took on a very reactive posture, a very combative and aggressive posture, and often a separatistic posture. And, and that word is now being used in much broader ways for lots of movements that have nothing to do with Christianity. And, um, and, and so, it's not about beliefs. It's more about how we engage with difference. Mm-hmm. So, that's what I was trying to speak to there in that tweet. 
And I think, um, you know, what I was trying to get to is that part of what I think is happening right now in the PCA and more broadly in the American Christian landscape is that we're going through such rapid changes culturally. And there's obviously uh, a lot of sort of post-Christian or um, even pagan ideas that are sort of rejecting the Christian influence on the West. And people are experiencing this change as uh, as a bad thing. I think it is a bad thing. But um, rather than trying to continue talking with our neighbors and trying to persuade them, we're often getting into a combative mode that I think mm-hmm. is is really fearful at bottom. Mm. Um, and And so because we're so concerned that people in our own camp, so to speak, are going to compromise and sort of continue to be a part of this kind of sweeping wave that's moving us away from our Christian heritage. Um, Everything has to be confronted directly. And there's not a lot of patience for trying to be persuasive with people and understand where they're coming from and maybe even learn from them in certain ways. But learning where people are at well enough that we can make arguments that are going to be um, at least understandable and perhaps even compelling to people that that believe differently than us. So, I don't know if that's speaking to your question, but mm. um, that's part of what I was trying to get at there. And I think we need to have an Im- imagination for um, for more, curio- more curiosity um, and, and striving to make better arguments than just, you know, saying no to people. Yeah, it's interesting. You know, you can see, um, Derek, we have four kids who are still living in our home, and um, I can see things like this play out in my life as a parent because, let's say one of our kids comes to us and either says something I don't like or does something I don't like. You know, often my impulse is to try to, right away, I I feel this panic on the inside, and then I try to control with my words. Mm, And, you know, rather than maybe trying to understand where the child is coming from or saying something in a way that's calm and measured, I kind of go into this panic attack mode, like, I don't want you to think that. That's a bad way to think, or that's the wrong way to behave, or whatever it may Mm be. When another kind of communication would probably be a lot more effective at my goal, but, you know, we can fall into this thing where we think that by saying the right combination of words or, or by this uh, panicked response, we can get a good result, and that usually doesn't work that way. <laughs> Not in parenting, yeah, I think anyway. You're absolutely right. <laughs> yeah, and I, it doesn't mean that you don't ultimately still want to challenge. That's right. What that child might be believing or doing. That's right. But mm-hmm. you, you're taking a more patient way of getting there and right. trying to draw them in a little bit, you know? Yeah. And I think that's that's exactly what we need to be thinking about when, when it comes to intellectual dialogue. Um, it doesn't mean we never confront and, and that we should never be combative. I think there are times for that. Sure. But um, that seems to be the only way that a sort of fundamentalist outlook can conceive of engaging difference. Yeah, and I think when we think about engaging people who are who believe different things than we do, or even, you know, going back to our own kids, it's so much of communication is about tone and posture, you know, and nobody yes. likes to be hit over the head with something. Um, how much more winsome is it when we speak in a way that is seeking to understand and, you know, even open to changing how we may be perceiving something that's um, so much of a better approach, I think. <laughs> Yeah, I think another yeah. another big word here is patience. Mm-hmm. That oftentimes when we see falsehood or sinful behavior, it's just I'm going to squash it now 
And the you know the thing I was going to thinking about is when our kids say why, and I'm still tempted to say because I'm your dad. <laughs> that's why, right? And uh, that's all we that's all you need to know. But um, there is sort of always that temptation, I think, to be confrontational when we see things that make us uncomfortable mm. or that we disagree yeah. with. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm not in any way um, the, the perfect model of this, but mm. I, I was thinking about unity in the church and several of the passages in the New Testament that that lead with a call for humility and patience in order to cultivate that or to maintain that unity. You know, places like Philippians two and Ephesians four, and and even uh, like First Corinthians one and two. There's a kind of this challenge of the factions that have developed in the church, and it's it's all grounded in pride. And so, you know, Paul's basically inviting them into humility. So I think, but you know, patience and humility are both key in in working for unity amidst doctrinal disagreements or or at least perceived doctrinal disagreements. Yeah, well, that's a great segue into um, another question that we wanted to discuss with you. So um, talking about intellectual humility, as you were just bringing up, um, you know, w- what does that mean to you, and how is it different from compromise? Because obviously, mm-hmm. as we've already spoken about, um, compromise is clearly a real thing. So how is that different? Well, yeah, it, it's not at all compromise. Um, I think theological humility is is just humility, obviously worked out in the the process of doing the the work of theology. And so, um, I think humility at bottom is is having a right assessment of ourselves, such that we're we're sort of decentered, and it draws us um, to be focused on others, taking a posture of service. And I think when we think about how humility applies in the theological. Um, realm or, or in a theological study and dialogue, um, it's going to lead us to have an honest assessment of ourselves as we think about mm-hmm. different doctrines. And, and what that will do is it'll, it'll make us start with a, a sort of healthy self-doubt and curiosity, mm-hmm. right? I mean, Jesus talks a lot about um, taking the, the log out of our own eye and before we go and take the speck out of someone else's eye. Um, and I think we just need to be more suspicious of ourselves mm-hmm. and recognize that because of sin, you know, our reasoning, our motives, our our sight, our observations, all of those are affected by sin. And so, uh, if we believe that we're all sinners and that we still have indwelling sin, then it's going to lead us to be quick to listen and to try to um, – be examined first before we immediately render judgment on on ideas, uh, especially coming from others that seem seem foreign to us. And so that that should undercut a, a sort of combativeness, at least initially. And I think if we're resting in the gospel and we know that our righteousness comes as a gift of grace, it's imputed to us through faith in Christ, then we're not we're not going to be finding our sense of righteousness in whether or not we're correct about everything. And so that will um, that will help us be more open and not defensive um, to challenging ideas. And so that again, that the idea of curiosity comes in. I think we will resist reactivity. We're we're going to really want to dive deep and make sure we understand uh, an idea before we reject it. Um, so I don't know. I, I don't know if that's making sense or answering mm-hmm. your question about theological humility. But I, th- I think it's just humility played out in the 
the discipline of theology. Yeah, I love that. And, you know, I, I think this idea of intellectual humility and curiosity plays out in so many ways beyond the church, obviously. I, I think of our local school board right now. Our local school, school board is kind of a train wreck, and um, it's it's a well-documented train wreck. Like, that's not a surprise to anyone who, who lives in Columbia right now. But um, but to me, it's two sides who refuse to listen to each other. It's two sides who say, I am right, right out of the gate. I have no interest in what you're going to say because there's nothing you could possibly say that would convince me I'm wrong about something. And it's so yeah. frustrating to watch because there's just this refusal to to have honest and any kind of conversation that that goes anywhere because there's this right out of the gate there's this um you know there's this assur- assurance that that both parties are right and they don't need to listen to each other it's very frustrating yeah 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 oh man and that's sadly that seems to be true in our church uh in our denomination mm. uh, yeah. largely yeah and, and speaking of our denomination, the PCA, and also, you know, our audience is a Christian audience. Derek, it seems like there's a unique temptation for Christians, especially those of us who come from a Reformed perspective, that we we know our theology is so rich and it's been thought out and articulated so well over centuries now that I wonder how seriously we we take the fall applying to our minds. You know, clearly we see our actions, our will. Our desires are still distorted, but yet our theology is so uh, buttoned down uh, and so concise and well articulated that you know I can see sort of a position of well we we know the right answers on everything and we can at least apply the right principles to everything, so we have the ammunition to handle any kind of. Uh, new idea that comes up, and we have the ability to quickly make a judgment on whether or not it's worth any of our time. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think the best of the Reformed tradition is is Catholic in its disposition. And by that, I mean it's, it's open to learning from the history of the church and from the church around the world. And so, when I think Reformed theology and our, our tradition goes wrong when it gets very narrowed in on the last 500 years or less, and then even within that, a particular uh, version of Reformed theology. And and while I very much agree with our standards and find my theological home there, I believe that Scripture teaches us that the whole body uh, of Christ has gifts to bring to us. Hmm. And so, while our tradition, I think, tends to be really solid in terms of the, the cognitive reflection, um, there's other parts of the body that that uh, are maybe better at some of the the action and service that the that the body of Christ is, is called to, and other mm-hmm. parts are better at, at the sort of communion of with God, the sort of mystical dimension, and and maybe worship in one sense. And so that actually affects how we know things, right? We're not just pure minds, and so we've got to constantly be open to learning from the the whole body. Uh, different traditions. We we may know that we have big disagreements with with them on this or that, but still see that they have something to offer us that we can benefit from. I think when we when we approach theology that way and we look at the whole church throughout history, um, that's gonna and we do that with curiosity. I think that's gonna help us see our blind spots a little bit better, hmm. and it's gonna take some of the edge off of that combativeness. 
Great. Well, we want to we want to move into application here in a little bit. We want to hear some ideas about how we can cultivate intellectual humility. But before we get there, Derek, I want to be devil's advocate for just a moment here. Okay, <laughs> I want to okay. I want to try to mix it up a little bit. And I'm and I'm thinking here of World War II, and I'm thinking of that approach that we know that was called appeasement. Uh, that you know, of course, was used in the UK to try to hold Hitler back, and and I could see someone making the argument: Look, there's a tidal wave coming. You got to fight force with force. Our children are on the line. Our covenant kids. Our churches. There's a forest fire coming, and we don't really have a choice but to co- come out here with our guns blazing. Uh, and what is your, you know, because if we don't, we're just it's a losing battle. We've we've got to be strategic. We've got to be confrontational because look, everybody else is confrontational with us. So why can't we be confrontational with them? What what are some thoughts that come to mind when you hear that kind of argument? Well, one is that I, I think there is a time to engage in polemics with with other Christians and then certainly with non Christians. So I'm not opposed to that. Um, but I don't think that when we are engaged in polemics, we chuck humility or we chuck curiosity. Those still have to be present. Um, so that's one point I'd make. The other is I'm I'm not a, in any way calling for appeasement or compromise. We absolutely need to stand on our beliefs um, and our confession in the PCA, and and have confidence in that. I mean, that's not something that I'm embarrassed about. I I believe our standards, and I think they show us the way of life and the way to experience the fullness of life in Christ. Um, so you know, to me, I'm not afraid, I guess, uh, about this wave, like whatever might come. Um, mm-hmm. I believe God has our children. He keeps them. He keeps us. And our job is to be faithful in witnessing um, to those around us and standing firm. And sometimes that might mean some some difficult um, conversations. So as we talk about putting things into practice, you know, we always want to have I am a very practical person, so I always like to have some takeaways, you know. <laughs> um, yeah. So you've spoken a little bit about how we cultivate intellectual humility by having that suspicion toward ourselves in a healthy mm-hmm. way, I mean. Um, yeah. How do you think we we continue to cultivate that, and, and how do we cultivate that intellectual curiosity? What do you, What do you think are some ways that we can do that? Well, I think we, reading widely is a, is an important thing and listening mm-hmm. to people from very different backgrounds. So mm-hmm. uh, I think it's great to dive deep into our own tradition, but we also have to realize the limits to the historical context of those people and realize that there, there are a lot of other folks with a lot of different experiences that we can learn from um, and a lot of different time periods we can learn from. And so only reading you know, from the Reformed tradition is I think anemic. I don't mm-hmm. think we're going to be able to think through all the challenges that we're facing today with robustness if we're only reading out of the Reformed tradition. So reading widely and gleaning the wisdom of the, the broader church, like I mentioned earlier, I think is a really key thing to do. And man, there are some, even today, there are some just brilliant folks from other traditions mm-hmm. that would share our most basic convictions uh, but come from, you know, maybe they have some different views on secondary and tertiary matters that we really need to be listening to. They're very helpful voices. Mm-hmm. De- Derek, um, I would love, and I think our audience would love to hear, who are some of those historical voices and some of those present voices that have been really helpful for you in navigating these issues? 
Yeah, I mean, I mean, the church fathers are important for um, I think people to get some exposure to because it it kind of blows your mind when you start realizing the things that we find most important and some of the issues we're battling. You know, we're approached very differently. Um, I think you can also see in the church fathers some similarities to our context about a, a sort of pagan world where Christians are a minority and, and how they handle that. But I think, you know, today I find um, all sorts of people really helpful. Um, I mean, one of my favorite thinkers is Andy Crouch. Mm-hmm. He's um, He's got some just really penetrating, insightful stuff into our culture and what it means to be human and how we are formed. Um, I love Tish Warren. I think she's mm-hmm. uh, brilliant. She's an Anglican. I have to be careful mentioning Anglicans because I get accused of being a. I a saw that the other day. <laughs> all the time. Yeah, but um, you know Oliver O'Donovan's another Anglican, Anglican who's uh, really insightful. Jamie Smith, I know. Again, he's a guy that people are worried about because he he maybe um, has started to to take some different views on sexuality. I'm not entirely sure about that, but he's obviously brilliant. Uh, Matt Lee Anderson, uh, guys at Mere Orthodoxy, Jake Meter. Um, Alan Nobles in our denomination, he's a really great voice. Oh mm-hmm. uh, man, I, c- I could go on and on. I could start looking through my bookshelf here, but there's a lot of great, <laughs> That's a helpful. lot of great stuff out there. That's helpful. Yeah, I think for me, as I think about um, so a practice that I've tried to develop in my own life that I think has been really helpful is, as you said earlier, to to be suspicious toward yourself sometimes like I sometimes I come away and I have thoughts about a certain person like oh well that person is that way and then I try to turn it on its head and say but what if I'm wrong maybe they just see something in a different way but they have all of the uh, intention that I have or they have all of the you know whatever it may be so I really like um, that's a a practice that I've tried to develop in my own life just to say Mm -hmm. okay this is an assumption I'm making about my about someone. And and when I was younger, I wouldn't have challenged myself. <laughs> but now I've gotten mm-hmm. to know myself better that I should challenge the assumptions that I make about people. And that's actually been really helpful to change my disposition towards certain people. Um, it, it just, I think that's helped me to give certain people the benefit of the doubt, Where whereas when I was younger, I would have been sure that I, you know, saw situations 100% rightly. And, <laughs> yeah. and now I'm much quicker to doubt my own assumptions. Um, well, I think and a great way to do that practically also, if you're able, is to ask questions of that person, mm-hmm. you know, not in a, not in an interrogative way, but in a, all right, let me, am I understanding you correctly? You know, is my assumption about you right? Um, right. And giving them a chance to speak back. Often that avoids conflicts. I mean, I, I try to do that, you know, um, but that, that can be hard sometimes when, when we've had several interactions with someone and we start to get a sense of where we think they're at, and it, it just kind of becomes hard to see them any other way after that. Mm. Yeah, that's such a great insight into asking questions. And there probably are some really marvelous books out there about the way the Bible uses questions and the way Jesus uses questions to yeah. get at truth without, instead of always making statements, this is the way it is, accept it, but the ability to bring truth out through questions I think is so helpful. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there, there's probably some great – you might know some resources, Derek, on that. But one of the – I was going to mention one practice uh, that I've developed over the years, and I didn't have this at first, which was the ability to read people where you don't agree with everything that they say, but you still mm-hmm. find nuggets of truth, or maybe you agree with 50% of what they say or 25% of what they say, 
But for me, thinkers like N.T. Wright, I don't agree with everything N.T. Wright says, right. but mm-hmm. he has helped me think about different things, uh, the afterlife, different things like that, um, in really helpful ways. So, but there, there does you do need a certain groundedness if you're going to read people that you don't agree with every word because you have to be able True. to not just have a visceral reaction to just thro- yeah. throw the thing out in that moment. Um, so, Derek, it sounds like that's a habit that you also have, you know, d- refined well over the years. Well, thanks. I, I totally agree with you. I think um, it is important to be grounded in our tradition before you go too deep in the weeds with lots mm-hmm. of people from different traditions, because you may not be able to recognize yep. moves they're making that um, that we wouldn't want to follow based on certain things we believe. But I'll say one of the values of reading people we don't always agree with is that sometimes they just ask questions we would never think to ask, or they they have issues about things we would never take issue with. And so our intellectual frameworks open up possibilities and they also shut down certain possibilities. And so by talking with people with different intellectual frameworks, um, you know, that can be a very generative um, thing to do. And it can really help you explore a lot of different ways. And that, and that's, again, why Reformed Theology is wonderful, but we haven't thought of everything. You know, there, there are <laughs> subjects and issues that we need to we need to bring our theological tradition to bear on them, but we may need the help from other traditions. So I just mm. think of all the new issues arising on the, uh, you know, in, um, artificial intelligence, a lot of reproductive technology, um, cloning, all, all, you know, uh, the metaverse, Nobody in the Reformed tradition has ever talked about those things because they didn't exist. But mm. you know, we, we're going to need other Christians to help us think through this. And I think we, we can make our own contributions, but we need the broader church. Yeah, that's so, so well said, Derek. And you know, one of the things I remember when I was younger, being a little bit more critical of the Westminster Standards, which is the standards of our denomination, and then at some point just realizing these guys were answering such different questions than the questions I am often asking. And they they did such an able job in answering those questions mm-hmm. in a biblically faithful way, and it's helped me have a much deeper appreciation for our standards, recognizing the yes. questions they were asking and the questions they weren't asking right. when, when they yes. wrote those things. We, we want to end with a final um, question here about the words nuance and the, uh, the word nuance and then the word complexity. Derek, I don't know if you've seen this, but... Uh, nuance is sometimes, you know, poo-pooed as this, or or sort of made fun of as this kind of uh, wishy-washy, cop-out, comp- right? cop compromise mm-hmm. word. I think complexity is also uh, minimized many times, and and it's probably coming from a perspective of look, we know the truth, the gospel's clear, creation, fall, redemption, consummation. I mean, I mean. Let's not make this stuff more complicated than we need to. And I want to hear from you um, a defense of these words, because I think these are very important words that Christians have in our vocabulary that we can hold without in any way minimizing the fact that the gospel is so simple that a toddler can, you know, or a very young child can understand it and embrace it by faith, and that the core of Christianity um, is simple enough for a child to understand, and yet there are in- further layers for us to go as we work out our faith into all areas of life. So, can you speak to those words, those two words, nuance mm. and complexity? I can try, but um, you're right that this is this is kind of a I don't know a debated 
word these days, or those those things are controversial to be nuanced um, and to say something's complicated. I, I got to be honest. I, I think that's mainly a fearful reaction. Um, mm-hmm. Like Betsy was saying earlier, I feel like that's mainly a desire to kind of control a situation and to shut things down and to say, no, this is black and white and this is how it is. And that's the end of the discussion. That's regularly how people are using that. I think some of that is maybe warranted. There's a fear that um, people are playing games with words in order mm. to not really believe what we say we believe. Hmm. And yep. I understand that. If yep. we feel like people are being disingenuous, then then we want to say, you know, knock it off, and this is how it is. However, I, I think part of the challenge there is that there's not been enough willingness to really listen to where people are coming from and understand that um, the way we might use words – uh, is not the same as how someone else somewhere else might use those terms. And so while we might speak a little differently, um, we still believe the same thing, but we're we're describing something in a different way. Um, and so that's that's a kind of defense of the word nuance. you know I mean we we need to be able to to make distinctions that some people maybe don't think to make. Um, so you know somebody, I think it was Chris, Hutchinson said, what is theology if not nuance? I mean, there's mm. a lot of the, the theological tradition is people making distinctions and uh, taking terms and nuancing them and showing that um, things aren't as simple as we'd like to to think at times. And so, um, I don't know. I, I, I'm kind of baffled by the pushback on that other than you know, I just think there's deep distrust right now. And mm-hmm. I think that's part of that is that polarization y'all mentioned earlier. Mm. And I, I'm not entirely sure I know the way forward uh, other than trying to build trust with people while we try to make those distinctions and try to be nuanced and show them we do agree with you. We do believe what you're saying. And yet there's this thing over here that I'm not sure you're seeing. And we've, we've got to be able to talk about this. And so we're, we're going to add some complexity to the issue by talking about this. Um, but I'm not sure that's working very well. The noises of fear are so loud that um, it seems like it's hard for people to trust that we we aren't being deceptive when we when we want to be nuanced. Mm-hmm. Mm. Well, that's a call for all, Derek. Everything you've said has been very helpful and thoughtful, and I think it's a call for for Christians. Um, I think you've been very helpful. You know, showing us. You know, there are real dangers when we go to these different questions. We do want to make it clear that that truth is not relative, that the gospel, the, the basic gospel truths are understandable to everyone, that the Word of God is inerrant and authoritative. Um, right. but, but also then out of that rootedness and confidence in Christ, that union with Christ that we have, to then... Uh, and honestly, I think in many ways this podcast can be summarized by the call to not be intellectually lazy, but to mm-hmm. put our minds to work, to continue to um, experience the mind of Christ, to pursue the mind of Christ, for we have the mind of Christ, and to do that in a way that that maybe we're 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 going to have to work harder than some previous generations because of all of the th- uh, relativism and foreign ideas that we're being confronted with right now. Yeah, yeah. Can I add one other thing um, that we haven't brought up? Yes, please. Okay, that, uh, and I think a big tool going forward uh, is something I've written about when I talked about the, and I'm not the one who came up with this, well, lots of people have talked about the different levels of doctrinal importance. 
And um, mm. I, I think that we have to learn how to distinguish the importance of doctrines and where they fall. And so I've got some articles on that I, I'm, that I think might be helpful, but other people have written about this stuff mm-hmm. uh, where we want to say there are core doctrines to the faith. There are doctrines that are fundamental to our system as a denomination. There are doctrines that, that affect the function of a ministry. And then there are doctrines that are um, more conscience issues and kind of have more to do with culture. And I think humility enables us to distinguish between those and not lump all of our beliefs into those kind of core beliefs. Mm. And um, and so that also can help us be less defensive when there's disagreement or less concerned when there's disagreement. Mm. So that's another tool yeah, that I would Yeah, that's and I here. both read those Semperref articles to prepare for that. Yes. And we will, we will put those links in the show notes. And I really want to commend to our audience Derek's paradigm of it's it's more nuanced to use a word that we've yeah, talked hey, about before hey. than yeah. sort of just good and bad or first and secondary, but you you have different layers which I think are very helpful uh, as we think about different issues. So that's uh, we we want to commend that uh, mm-hmm. Derek and I don't know if you real quick want to just aren't there four levels in your system? Yeah, that's the way I I put it together. Others have used three. Um, I, I add the conscience issues um, on the very end there as the, the fourth, but I use a building metaphor. Other people have used a body metaphor and talked about the different organs, the vital organs mm. versus the the, or, the things that are critical to our, our sort of long-term health and then other body parts, which are good for just function. And then lastly, body parts that are, you know, how they look, the sort of aesthetic dimension. Mm. So you could, you could kind of do it in different ways uh, and think about, the, the orders of doctrinal importance with different metaphors, but the idea is is basically the same. That's really helpful. Very helpful. Mm-hmm. Uh, one final Bible verse before we close here, 2 Timothy 1.7, For God hath not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. ESV says, For God gave us not a not a spirit of fear, but of power and love and self-control. If you, if you look at the word there, self-control, sound mind, I did a little Greek study on it. Uh, <laughs> great, But great verse there that I think applies. David French loves that verse hmm. um, that applies to us today. But that's... Hmm. Well, um, Derek, we love, when we have guests on, we love to ask the question, what are you reading right now? Yeah. Um, well, I'm reading biblical critical theory um, that... Keller wrote the forward to, and uh, I think it's an Australian guy, Christopher Watkins, maybe, mm. is his name. And um, that's been an interesting read. And then I'm reading Keller's book on forgiveness. Oh, that's brand new, yeah. isn't it? Heard about yeah. that. Mm-hmm. And that's that's been wonderful. And then I'm reading a book um, on, on talking about race. I think Isaac Adams is the name. Um, so those are the three that I'm working through right now. Wonderful. We always love to get inspired with another good book. Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> Folks, we want to thank Derek Radney for coming on today. You can mm-hmm. follow him at Derek Radney on Twitter. You can go to his WordPress, dradney at wordpress.com. Uh, you can also um, find him on Simperef, especially those articles on distinguishing doctrinal distinctions and, mm-hmm. and how to sort of rank doctrinal issues. Derek, thank you so much for coming on today. Well, thank you, Josh and Betsy, for having me. And I was helped by this. Y'all had some uh, great, great things to bring to the conversation. So thank you for letting me learn. Wonderful. Amen. Wonderful. Well, we sure appreciate you all listening. Um, thank you for coming along on this conversation with us. 
And as always, if you can rate, review, and subscribe on your podcast app, that helps other people to find us. All right. Thanks for joining us. See you next time.